You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is victoria your dog guru and today we are talking about the canine questions that matter to you so the first one up is let me pull it up dog guru my dog douglas is a four-year-old cavalier king charles spaniel he was used to being with me all day every day which before was okay because i was working from home but now is a problem because i just started going into an office four to five days a week doug is not pleased he started off by barking while I was gone, then started hiding my shoes before I left for work, and now is having accidents before I go to work. What can I do? Are forced. Okay, so I think the first thing I should bring up is Doug isn't having, this isn't separation anxiety as some people might want to assume or that might be a com conclusion they may jump to. I say that because Doug isn't freaking out before Mr. Forst goes to leave for work. He's not having any sort of anxiety response. He's just making sure that when Mr. Forst comes home, <laughs> Mr. Forst knows that he was not thrilled that Mr. Forst left. So I point that out only because, you know, when dogs have anxiety, it takes a lot more time to reverse behaviors like he's describing when it is actually anxiety that charges these events and dogs are being destructive in the absence of their owners because they're freaking out. That's not really how he describes this. He kind of describes this like, well, he was used to having me, you know, for long periods of time, he got used to it, and my schedule and my lifestyle has changed now, and he's lashing out, essentially, in the ways that he found most appropriate. Now, the barking and the howling could have been, you know, an initial separation anxiety response, but, you know, I'm gonna kind of err on the way this was written and assume that this, this has nothing to do with anxiety, because it sounds like Doug is just upset that his precious time is being cut into. And understandably, especially if he was younger when all of this was normal and his owner was home all the time and, and he always could have companionship whenever he made himself available for it, and that changed to, okay, well, I'm off on my own for eight hours a day or even five hours a day. I mean, to a dog, after you get it past two hours, it's like a whole afternoon in their world. So, um, you know, with all of that in mind, this is an adjustment period and you have to treat it like an adjustment period. The first thing I would try is to entertain Doug with some puzzle toys or perhaps have a family member or a pet sitter come by and check on him during the day to give him some one-on-one. -on -one. Because like I said, this is a transitional period. You don't have to do that forever, but right now he went from having your undivided attention to now he's living without you. And to him, it's a very sad day when dad leaves. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pets, but he probably feels a lot like that. <laughs> Another thing you wanna do is when you come back home, don't make an event of entering the home or seeing Doug go about your business and when Doug's calm and not wiggling all over the place or barking at you or pawing at you or underfoot, 
I typically wait till I see them go lay down and relax and then I'll call them over to interact with them but I, I try not to make it their idea and I try not to make a big event of my approach back into the home because if there is anxiety or anything like that going on, I'm definitely not going to be helping the problem long-term by making a huge event of, oh, finally I returned. No, I don't wanna do that. I wanna make it a no big deal, I left, no big deal, I came back. I mean, we can have our special moments without him having a panic attack in my, ab in my absence. The reason I would do all of this though is because you want to break up the normal cycle and expectations he has of your arrival. And then you can be sure to make the time and one-on-one -on -one that you do have with him, though it's different and it may be shorter periods of time, that it's still valuable. You take him places, you cuddle him, maybe you give him cookies, teach him some new behaviors, or even going on a nice walk at the end of the day can make things a bit more bearable for Doug uh, during this very inconvenient adjustment period. So I wish you guys luck with that. Our next question is, or actually it's an email and it says, Hi Dog Guru, I'm so thrilled to have found your podcast because of your show My St. Bernard Winifred is finally minding me more and behaving with guests around. The one thing she does that drives me nuts is she takes her huge paw and swats it at my leg whenever I least expect it. I could be on the phone, we could be on a walk, and then thwap. I have a muddy dog print on me. Uh, dog, I guess she meant dog paw print on me. What would you do about this very unladylike behavior? Thank you, Taylor and Winifred Coulson in Oregon. Hi, Taylor. Okay, I'm glad some of what you've heard has helped you and your big girl, Winifred. Uh, I have a very simple suggestion, actually. Teach down and teach stay, individually. Make sure that she's solid on each of those. Make sure you have a hand signal for each of those behaviors so you don't have to actually be on top of her, you know, um, saying the cue over and over, you could say it without saying it. You know, you could be nonverbal, just show her the hand signal and from across the room, she could, you know, adhere to the cue. But anyway, I say all of that. So you would teach her down and you would teach her stay. And so the way it would basically prevent her from continuing this problematic behavior is if she decides to swat anything, it'll be the ground, and it, the stay prevents her from creeping up on you and catching you off guard. So, cause you know, sometimes puppies, they have frustration and they let it out by either, like my dog Baldor will bark at me a little bit, he's, he's more verbal, but some dogs will, you know, throw themselves on the ground, others will jump up in frustration. So all of them handle stress a little bit differently especially when they feel like you're holding out on them. Like if they feel like they've done all that they should do or there's something they want from you and you're holding out, then they might bark at you or jump at you and things like that. So the stay will prevent him from getting all over you and expecting something immediately in return. So you'll teach the behavior separately, like I mentioned, then you'll put them together when they're polished. I tried this with my dog, I mentioned a little bit, or a second ago, because he was swatting me recently with his giant puppy paws, and now he sometimes swats the floor once I stay down, but better the tile floor than my clothes, especially when he has wet paws. So that's my, that's my piece of advice. It was a very easy fix. All I have to do now is make sure that I ask him to sit, then I'll ask him to down, then I'll ask him to stay. If he breaks it, I just put him back and remind him that he can't break a stay until I actually release him. There's no self 
releasing in this process. But if you don't want to be as militant as me, a good start is teaching him to lay down and stay so that at least you know where his paws are so you know for sure where they won't be. <laughs> Our next email says... Okay, it says, hi dog guru. I saw your puppy on Instagram. How cute is he? I also have a new puppy. Her name is Freya and she's a coon hound and about 15 weeks old. Every single day I come home, she's destroyed something or made a potty accident in the house, even though I have a doggy door. Today I saw she was trying to dig in my carpet when I walked in from grabbing my mail outside. This is a bit more than I'd bargained for. Any advice? Oh, deep breaths. I totally understand what you're going through. Um, my brother has a new puppy, I have a new puppy, and I was up, just to give you an example, everybody goes through this, I was up till 4 a.m., or I was up at 4 a.m. with my puppy who needed a bath, and you know, it's, it's a trying time because they're young and they don't really have a schedule or a solidified routine and as they grow their bodies change and some things happen unexpectedly or they get bored or they get nervous and all of this can affect how they behave and and what they're doing in the stages they go through so first of all you have a coon hound and i can tell you that they're they're a high energy breed generally i mean they they have a very busy mind so all the coon hounds i've ever seen were big diggers and a lot of that had to do with they they just didn't have enough of an outlet for their energy so they they tend to be great candidates for doggy daycare now she's a little young still but a lot of doggy daycares will allow them to come in around 18 weeks so you're not that far off from that some will let her come by at 15 weeks but you have to make sure they're separated by 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 size at the very least age appropriate like puppies with puppies would be ideal but certainly size size needs to be separated and they need to be in short, short segments you don't want them playing all day long because then their joints can get sore and their bodies can get tired but they're they don't feel safe just like walking away and taking a nap because they have to be on because there's so many dogs around so be mindful of all of that definitely go check out a facility before you ever leave your dog there all day maybe even do a couple dry runs on a weekend when you can go pick her up if something goes awry but try that for an hour or two and see how it goes and if it goes really well and she comes home tired and you feel like things are going in the right direction then I would definitely make sure that was a regular thing and she may not have to go every day but certainly a couple times a week may definitely be in your future. I know it's not ideal but sometimes when you get saddled with a specific breed you have to go with their energy level and if you're not home to be able to regulate it and you know exercise their minds and their bodies then sometimes you have to come in uh, with an alternative solution you're very early into this process 15 weeks i mean i don't know if the puppy was eight weeks or 12 weeks or how old she was when you got her but you're very early into this this whole learning curve. So give yourself time, give her time to adjust. Don't rush the process. You'll hear me say that a lot in my podcast. If you spend time exercising their minds and their bodies and be sure to give them the one-on-one -on -one they need, you're more likely to have a stable dog and a stable situation. But every puppy is a handful. I mean, like I said, I was up at 4 a.m. with my puppy. I'm having to give him a bath. He's barking. You know, I have to clean the crate, the whole, the whole bit. So I understand that it's a trying time, but it goes 
um, in peaks and valleys. You know, a week from now, you may not have this problem, but I think this is more of a stimulation issue than anything else. I don't even think it's the same case as it was with Douglas that we, we spoke of earlier because Douglas is pissed. <laughs> you know, Doug, Doug is a little bit mad that dad is going back to work, whereas your puppy maybe missing litter mates. You know, I know at 15 weeks they could be a little further along in that process, but it is still an adjustment. But destruction, not having any sort of consistency with a potty routine, all of those things can become long-term problems if they're not nipped in the bud. So if your schedule doesn't allow, make sure that either you have somebody come and check in on the dog and exercise her, maybe even train her or bring her to some sort of doggy daycare or even a friend's house. You know, I had a client who used to drop her puppy off on her way to work every morning with a family member and the dog would have entertainment with her, the, the family's dogs all day and she'd pick her up on her way back home and everything was fine. So if you have a situation like that, that can work, that'll work. That'll, that, it doesn't matter where she is. It just matters that she has an outlet and some stimulation because otherwise I think you're gonna see a lot more destruction. I hate to say that, but you know, she's got a restless mind based on some of the things that you, you put in your email. So be sure to update us. Next question is actually anonymous and it says, Dear Dog Guru, I am in the process of training a service dog. I've heard you mention your service dogs multiple times and that you too are training a service dog. My question to you is this, I've been working with my service dog for two years. I feel like he's mastered a lot of the things that we need to to really pass all of my expectations and meet all of my tasking needs. However, he has two behaviors that I haven't been able to stop. After working with a trainer and consulting several times with another, I'm starting to lose hope that this can actually be a fully fledged service dog. My question is, how do you know if it's time to give up, throw in the towel and actually wash the dog or if you need to stick with it and see the problems through? Signed, listening intently. Well, I'm, I am glad that you're listening. So there's a few things that you need to be aware of. First, you have to decide if the behavior that you haven't been able to stop or the, the two behaviors you haven't been able to stop are first of all, not at all related to aggression or anxiety. Because if it's related to either of those two spectrums, the dog probably will end up being a wash. If you've been working the problem and, and had a professional work with you and you're two years into the process and you haven't been able to change, my last ditch effort would be hiring another trainer, trying one more time, and then I would wash the dog. I don't know what these behaviors are. I think that if it's something such as, you know, carrying a purse for you or bringing a marker to someone to let them know that you're in, in distress, if it's something like that, and it's not something that's actually changing or challenging the quality of the dog's work ethic and overall well-being, I see no reason to continue plugging away a little longer. But if it's something where the dog is withdrawing emotionally or reacting, and you've been at this for two years, I, if, if it's one of those two things, or like I said earlier, you know, anything related to aggression or anxiety, I, I, I try to walk, work a problem through. I think people wash dogs a little too quickly. I think that they kind of give up if their first attempt or their second attempt on things, which doesn't seem to be the case here, but when their first or, or second attempts don't yield the successful result they were hoping for, they just throw in the towel altogether. Well, that's not the way to handle it. In fact, 
you know, to me, there is no training period of time that a dog goes through when they're a service animal. It's an ongoing process. It doesn't end, you know, just as your needs may shift and change as they go through different stages of life, their behavior could change and shift. If this is something new that's cropped up, I'd have to ask myself why, if it's a withdrawal exercise and the dog is completely shutting down, it may be a case where they need to be watched, not because they're showing anxiety or showing aggression or reactivity, but maybe they're just not suited to have a working job permanently. Some dogs cannot do it long term and some dogs get burnt out. If you're a service dog handler and this is your first service dog or perhaps this is it's been a long time since you've retrained a service dog or maybe this is your first time of going it alone and what I'll tell you when it comes to burnout is this. It is preventable. Almost in every case, it's preventable. I think that when dogs burn out in service work, there are dogs that are not suited to doing work like that on a consistent basis every day of their lives. There are dogs like that, but when we're talking specifically about burnout, burnout happens when you've overworked the dog, overwhelmed the dog, inundated the dog, and eventually they just shut down and they lose their tenacity for work. They, they lose their drive to really key into you during that work. So when we're talking about things like burnout, the best way to prevent it is first of all, make sure you always have a standing relationship with your dog where you aren't dependent on them every second of the day, where they can just be a dog and they can enjoy your company or vice versa. And also make sure that there's a shutoff period. So periodically, in their day or their week, they get to you know, go somewhere where they don't have to be 100% on. And if it's a, the sort of service animal where they have to give you a medical alert, the best way to give them a reprieve might be right in your own home, giving them a timeout. And a lot of people don't, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people don't know that you don't have to indicate a service dog is a service dog by vesting them. But I like vests because they tell the dog Physically, it's a marker for the dog to remember, okay, I'm working now. So when that isn't on, they can clock out. You know, when you're talking about medical alert, sometimes you don't want them to have that sort of check-in, check-out mentality, depending on what their use is. So trying to put all of the information out there for everybody, because every, every situation with a service dog is a little different. But yeah, to answer your question, I don't wash a dog unless it's something that is a cornerstone behavior that I know will never change. And typically for me, I'm an eternal optimist, but when I would wash a dog, it would be for things like they couldn't task when they were in a public environment, no matter how much we work the problem. Um, or the behavior, or you know, when you're talking about aggression and anxiety, if those things don't improve and you're not always seeing them improve, then I would assume that it's not gonna be a long-term candidate for service work. Okay, our next question comes from Georgetown. That's all I know, all it says is Georgetown. And they write, Dog Guru, I recently took on two puppies which a family was trying to find homes for on the side of the road. So we're three weeks into this process and things seem to be calming down a bit, but I recently ran into problems. They're starting to fight with each other and they won't stop. I don't know what is going on. They seem so happy and loving towards one another beforehand, but now it seems like anything can provoke a fight. I was wondering if this is something that I should let them work on, out on their own, if I should intervene, and if I do, what does that have to look like? Or is it time to hire a professional? This morning was a rude awakening for our family because the two got into it so badly that I'm now still cleaning up the floor from the damage. I guess I'm just asking, now what? Okay, so Georgetown. 
Whew, you've got your hands full. Okay, so I don't know a lot about this and that, so it's gonna be a little bit different for me to advise you. Normally I have a little bit more information to give an informed opinion on, but here's what I'll tell you. I don't know if the dogs are over six months or not. I will tell you that litter mates living together can be problematic. There's such a thing as litter mate syndrome and typically it's fostered by not intervening early and making sure that the dogs feel like individuals instead of like a, a unit because what happens is they become so engrossed in their own world that you become, the you take a back seat to their dynamic. So that can work against you right there and on top of that what it sounds like is that Right now, they're trying to establish roles between each other, and the bad news is, is that might be especially difficult. I say that because a lot of litter mates will press on one another's nerves until one of them completely breaks. The bad news about that is that unlike most situations where dogs can result in some sort of disagreement, be it audible or physical, it's not something that actually really gets resolved with litter mates because they've been around each other for so long, they've already pressed on those limits far longer and far harder than say they might with a stranger dog who they've never met, where they don't know how to interpret behavior. They're going off of language they de they've developed solely between one another, and that is really problematic long term. Psychologically, it basically gives them only that pool to pick from mentally. And so the first thing I would do is start socializing them and socializing them separately. If you have them sleeping in the same place, make sure that they have, if they're if they have a crate or a dog bed, sleep in separate dog beds. Don't feed them in the same exact spot. Do not let them sleep in the exact same spot because while it may seem cute, it actually results in the behaviors that you're you're seeing manifest now, which is there's constant push and not enough retreating because like I said, they know one another's boundaries and they're willing to go beyond that. I have seen litter mates have a functional life. There are families that have litter mates that are mentally and emotionally stable. That said, it takes a lot of work. It is not an easy road. You definitely will need a professional involved. I would certainly, and I wouldn't just look for a general trainer. I think you need a behaviorist in this particular situation because a trainer may train them to do specific cues, but a behaviorist will take into account how they're feeling emotionally and where they fall on that spectrum. And that's an important piece of information. You need to know if you're actually making progress or if you're just putting a band-aid on a large wound. So step one is hire a behaviorist. Step two is start giving them one-on-one -on -one with you and separate time from one another so they have an, a, a sense of individuality. And then you need, once you have a professional involved, you need to be ready to jump all in to this training process because the problem is essentially you have dueling twins and they're likely not to give up these dynamics and behaviors ever without your interference, without you intervening and starting to redirect the behavior and teach something else, they're going to keep going at each other. So you need to be the strongest entity in their lives because right now all that exists in their world are one another. This is such a consistent and thematic problem that a lot of breeders will not, especially to inexperienced dog owners, turn over litter mates to the same home because the likelihood of seeing negative behavior is much higher. I do know personally a colleague of mine has placed litter mates before and had no problems whatsoever, but she really vets her owners. So she was making sure up front that they had had experience either with litter mates before or a multi-dog household, had really good understanding of the breed. In I think every case, the 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 ones the people that took on the litter mates had already had that breed before. So some of the obstacles that you might be going into 
fresh with having these two dogs, she would have preferred to vet them out. So this way the dogs were getting exactly what they needed. The owners knew exactly what they were getting into. And she would never turn the, the puppies over to a home that wasn't going to work with a trainer from the get-go. And if you work with a trainer from the get-go, often you don't need a behaviorist, but now that you're having problems and it's resulting in all-out brawls where you know they're drawing blood or possibly causing permanent damage and injury, you need somebody who's really well trained and capable and has experience and success. You need to talk to their references. You need to see videos of their work. Be thorough because the wrong behaviorist in a situation that's already inflammatory and volatile will only add insult to injury. So right now your best uh, plan of attack is try and do the best you can to find a qualified behaviorist. Start giving them some individuality. Make sure you are training them with your basic obedience cues. That's something you don't need a trainer for if you've ever had dogs before. And if you haven't had any dogs before, I'm happy to send you some of my training videos uh, from when I was actively training with different dogs. And you can see some of the behaviors to install within the home, right in the comfort of your home. You don't have to hire a trainer. I just want to help you out because I can understand what an undertaking it is. And it's sounds like your heart was in the right place, but now you're, you're uh, knee deep in what could be a permanently altering situation. So just tread lightly. I would highly recommend making sure they have their own crates, their own bowls. Make sure that if you're feeding them, you're, you are feeding them in separate spaces like I mentioned earlier. They need to be treated not li like they're not related. If they're treated like they are the unit they already believe themselves to be, that's only going to set you further in the background. That wraps up our emails for the day. I want to make one announcement in the interest of spreading some love and healing and positive energy throughout all of our listeners of the podcast and all the people who you are exposing us to, which I'm very grateful for. Next week, we're actually having an author on the show. His name is Mark Winnick. He wrote the book, The Dog Healers, which is a phenomenal read. I'm actually wrapping it up right now. And so I'll be very excited to speak with him and share that with all of you. In the meantime, he does have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash the dog healers. So you can check him out there. His name again is Mark Winnick and he'll be joining us next week. If you guys haven't written to the show before, you can do so on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash ask your dog guru. There's also um, a group which is facebook.com slash group slash dog guru hounds. So I'll include those links in the show notes like I always do. Additionally, to all our listeners, if you would like a little one-on-one -on -one time with me to ask your doggy questions on air, please message the show via the Facebook page. And we are prepping for a product show, which I'm planning to do in March. So if you or someone you know has a prep pet product that you sell, design, something on Etsy you think is awesome. Has to be a dog related product, but any must have doggy item that you like or you own or you would like to sell, please message us again on the Facebook page, uh, along with links to your products or photos, whatever you've got. If your doggy item is featured on the show, we'll include it in the links on the show notes and we'll also let people know how they can order it from you. So keep all of that in mind, spread the word. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste.
You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.